are we doing? Hey, y'all. Welcome to Cross Politics. We're live, and it's Thursday mornings. Good to be with you on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. Of course, you know Pastor Toby, Chuck Knox, and I'm the water boy. Thank you, club members, for all your support, especially these last couple weeks. We've been wow. able to bring daily content to you guys. And if you haven't joined the club, join the club. You get a free Fight, Laugh, Feast t-shirt. You get access to, we haven't even talked about this very much, but Satikoy, some folk music behind the club portal. I mean, what are you going to do but listen to folk music while you're sitting at home? Cheer your soul. <laughs> home and, homeschool. Cheer your soul. It's yes. better than Netflix. <laughs> We're really grateful to have with us on the line right now, Dr. Heidi Abraham. She completed her emergency medicine residency as a chief resident at the Wright State University Integrated Residency in Emergency Medicine. Dr. Abraham is currently the medical director for New Braunfels Fire Department, San Antonio Air Life, Associate Medical Director for Austin Travis County EMS, and for Texas Department of Public Mm. Safety. She is also team physician for the Como County Sheriff's Office SWAT team. Watch it. And Associate Medical Director for a number of other fire and EMS agencies in the San Antonio area. In addition to Dr. Abraham's medical direction, uh, direction tasks and duties, she serves as the state of Texas Governor's EMS and Trauma wow. Advisory Council, EMS Medical Director Committee, and she is on the board of directors for the Texas chapter of the National Association of EMS Physicians. Uh, Dr. Abraham, did I miss anything? No, I, I think you got everything. It's important to point out that we're a competitive family, and I just needed more letters after my name than any of the other siblings. Very oh, good. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> hey, you also live in the promised land, too. So, I mean, you're like the doctor I, of the promised land. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, thank you so much for coming on Cross Politic, Dr. Abraham. Yeah, glad to be here. So, what we want to know, really, is how bad is COVID-19. And, and in order to sort of set that question up, um, I, I read an article by uh, George Avery recently. Um, he uh, had an essay on uh, the website called The College Fix. Greg, uh, George Avery is a former uh, advisor to the CDC, uh, former Purdue University professor of public health. And this is what he said in his conclusion. He says, um, what we are likely seeing in my estimation is an epidemic with a real case fatality rate between 0.2 and 0.5%, which is similar to the 1957 Asian influenza or the 1968 Hong Kong influenza. And he says there were some, they were similar virgin field respiratory epidemics. He says these earlier pandemics were nowhere near as harmful as the 1919 influenza outbreak, which had a, uh, it was a level five on the CDC scale. Uh, He says rather, probably we're looking at a level two scale. Um, He says that's enough to qualify this as a certainly an atypical and more severe than a routine seasonal flu. But then he goes on to say, he thinks, nevertheless, we're really overreacting. Um, What's your take in your position? Sure. So it, it is hard to give a straight answer to this. Um, and we, we won't actually know until months to a year or two from now what the actual numbers are looking like. Yeah. Um, I, I've, I've found it a little amusing. The rest of the world is finally being introduced to statistics. Um, as physicians, we're, right? As physicians, we're used to dealing with statistics and research. Um, a lot of what we do nowadays is evidence based medicine, which is all about, you know, studies looking at various stuff. And we're, we've gotten comfortable with the fact that we're not going to have straight answers on things. You know, mm. there's a lot of confounding variables uh, to all kinds of different studies, and we don't always even know what those confounding factors are. So that's, that's part of what's making it so challenging to draw 
act, you know, accurate statistics from mm. all of this. Okay. Um, you know, the numbers we're getting out of China are highly questionable, and that yeah. could swing the numbers either way. That right. could make this much worse than we think it is. It right. could make it much better than we think it is. Yeah. Um, and then when you ask about how bad it is, there's a couple of different things that you're looking at. You know, one is straight up mortality. Right. Um, certainly the mortality from this disease seems to be higher than a lot of other typical infections that we deal with. Um, although it's probably not quite as high as some of the numbers out there are saying. Uh-huh. But the, the bigger challenge that's making this hard on the healthcare system and therefore on the rest of the, of the country or the world is the demands that it's placing on the healthcare system. So even even if patients end up recovering from this disease, as many of them do, um, it takes quite a bit of healthcare resources in order to get there. So the numbers that we're seeing are patients are in the hospital for three to four weeks with this disease. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's different from, I mean, uh, for example, I have a friend whose uh, little baby just had open heart surgery two days ago. He's already out of the ICU, off the ventilator, off all of his, you know, extra medications and stuff, and will likely be discharged home in a couple of days. So open heart, open heart surgery out of the hospital in a week, right? These patients, these patients are in the ICU on ventilators for at least a couple of weeks and then just in the hospital for a couple of weeks beyond that, just with their various oxygen requirements and other things like that. So even if, even if the mortality rate isn't quite so high, the, the strain on the healthcare system is extremely high just because of the duration and the quantity yeah. of care that's being needed. And you're basing that off of like what's going on in New York, not what's going on in China. So, correct. So, so we're basing it Austin. off of the numbers. Yeah, or well, Austin. Yeah. so, so and, and, and Austin is doing okay at the moment because I, I think we're still on the early side of the curve. Um, here, here in Texas in general, at least in South Texas, Dallas and Fort Worth are getting hit pretty hard. Yeah. But those numbers, those numbers are coming from not just here in the states. I mean, y'all out there near Washington State, New York, Detroit, those kinds of areas, but also Italy and some other places in, in Europe. Yeah. Um, and the, the Western world. So one yeah. of the one of the reports coming out has been this um, hydroxychloroquine um, cocktail. With oh, the Z-Pack. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, oh. Really? <laughs> okay. Wait, I think, I think the question we need to ask first is, did you vote for Trump or not? <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> so, so since you're so excited so, to talk about this. So, so here's the deal. It's a virus, okay? Um, people are going to get, there. there is not much that we can do to treat viruses. And that applies even to some of our common viruses now like influenza. Um, The studies on, there's a couple of common medications that are used to treat influenza and the studies actually say you're going to get better just as quickly with the drug as without the drug. Um, The the studies that we're seeing on hydroxychloroquine, uh, azithromycin, and a couple other variations on that are very small studies. Right. uh, Done with with extremely inaccurate data um, and the general consensus is probably don't help as much as we think. And oh, by the way, there's a lot of patients with chronic diseases like lupus and other things like that that require those medications on a daily basis to keep them alive. Yeah. Um, and those patients are now facing fear. Like I, I had a patient in the ER a couple of days ago who is now taking her medication every second or third day in an effort to kind of drag out her current supply as long as possible because mm. the pharmacies in our area are completely out of that medication. Can you explain what some of the faulty data is in those? I mean, so the, you know, the headlines I've seen has been, you know, some doctor gave it to 700 patients and they all recovered within two weeks kind of thing. Is that, sure. what's the data? Yeah, that's so faulty? when, 
Well, so, so when you look at a, at a treatment um, study like that, you need to be able to match patients who receive the drug with patients who do not receive the drug. So you need to have essentially two pools right. of patients that are as equal as possible, um, which is hard to hard to set up in the first place. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then and then you need to have, and then here's where we get into some of the statistics a little bit more, but you need to have a convincing enough difference, a, a significant enough difference between the outcomes in those two groups. Um, all of those treatment trials are, are challenging because really the ideal way is you run a patient through their disease with the drug, and then you take that same patient and run them through their disease without the drug. And of course, we can't do that. Right. Um, the the ideal format for those studies is to do what's called a prospective randomized control trial, which means you start today and specifically randomize and assign patients to two different arms. Um, the studies that are being done now are a lot of retrospective, which means we're standing here today looking backwards mm. and making our best guess off of some fairly poorly controlled patient group. Right. Um, now, yeah. what about so, the, what so about not, the, not, not well, yeah, not well matched and, yeah. and we don't really have enough evidence that, that, that it's a significant enough. Difference. What about the Z-Pack side of all this? Because if there's pneumonia-like symptoms in the lungs, it seems like the Z-Pack would have uh, some effect there. So, so anytime you have a viral infection, one of the big risks is developing a secondary bacterial infection. Okay. So, and this is lecture. This is lecture I give my ER patients every year. Okay. Antibiotics work on bacteria; they don't work on viruses. Right. Mm. Um, so, so the the azithromycin um, a- antibiotics in general, and we're giving a lot of these patients antibiotics, but it's to deal with secondary infections. So, their their lung tissue or the rest of their body is so weakened from the virus that bacteria that they would have been able to fight off normally, they're not susceptible to. It turns into an infection. There's, yeah. It, it turns into a bacterial infection. Right, right. Yeah. So, vi- viruses cause infection also, but now it turns into you have a bacterial infection. Okay. Get it right, Gabe. Yeah. Come on, yeah. Gabe. I just, that, that's as far as my doctor hat takes me. <laughs> hey, Dr. Abraham, I was wondering, you said that you guys there on the early side of the curve. Is that as in relation to what you see in New York? Are you expecting to look like New York or look like other places that we've seen, maybe like Italy, um, coming there to sure. where you are? Sure. So, yes, we are worried about turning into that, and that's, that's why we're making a lot of the decisions that we are. The challenge with making especially political decisions in the face of a pandemic is beforehand, everybody says, oh, your decisions are too strict. You're, you're being absolutely draconian about this. Afterwards, everybody says, "Why didn't you make harder decisions? Why right. didn't you make this, you know, more stringent?" Right. So, you know, you're you're making a poor decision either way in the eyes of the public. Mm-hmm. Um, what what we have generally decided in leadership here is that it we would rather err on the side of not turning into New York if at all possible, mm-hmm. um, because I mean, truly, they're running out of resources out up there. Healthcare workers are dying in large numbers. Um, you know, from from treating these patients, um, and and the healthcare system is on the point of collapse um, in those areas. And if we can if we can take some steps now to prevent that from happening, we'd rather do that. Oh, um, I, I think our general approach is that it's it's not an alternative between shutting down society versus not shutting down. It's a decision of let's shut down as much as we can now on our own terms before we're forced to shut down a lot of things because the disease has gotten out of hand. I want to get into the data side of the of how this is being um, articulated, and even how the data maybe is being collected. Um, the uh, National Vital Statistics System uh, sent out an email on March twenty fourth, 
advising hospitals on how to uh, code code the data. And uh, the last section in this advisory note, they said that um, uh, COVID-19 should be reported on the death certificate for all descendants where the disease caused or is assumed to have caused or contributed to the death. Uh, you know, in other words, there's, a, there's people that can die with uh, the virus or people that can die from the virus, but it looks like the National Vital Statistics System says it doesn't matter. Code, code them all as COVID-19 deaths. Right. Is that, is, that mess, so, is that messing up the mortality rate statistics that we're seeing? Um, so again, welcome to dealing with statistics. Nothing is perfect. Yeah. Um, y- yes and no. So the, the fact of the matter remains, patients are dying at significantly higher numbers than they were previously. So even if, for example, somebody has heart disease and was eventually going to die of heart disease, the numbers we're seeing from Italy and the numbers that we're starting to see from the United States say that those people are dying a lot faster and at a lot higher numbers than they would have been otherwise. So Whether it's that's speeding up the process. Dying, it's is, it's is speeding up the at process minimum. and it's and it's making it well and it's and it's making it happen in, in much larger numbers than they were previously. If you look at the pathophysiology of coronavirus, um, it, it's not the virus itself that's necessarily killing people. It's, it's the effect that it's having on the rest of their body systems, mm. whether it be that it's you know, severely inflaming the lungs. Uh, there's a lot of evidence that it makes heart disease significantly worse, um, you know, messes with kidneys, all kinds of things like that. It, at some point, it yeah, it gets challenging to say, well, they would not have died if they didn't have coronavirus, or they were going to die regardless. I, I can't say that for sure. So how All is I the, can say is people are dying a lot more than they were previously. Okay. How is the common man or woman supposed to sort through this? So I talk to a doctor, and I hear one you know side of the story, and then I talk to the economist, and I hear that 9 million jobs have been lost. And then I, I talk to my lawyer and, you know, and you get all these doomsday right. stuff from all the sides. And how are we, what's the best way we can articulate and calculate how we should be thinking about all this? So do you want the Christian answer? Yeah, oh, of course. If you happen to have it, that'd be great, sis. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the Christian answer is, thank goodness God is still in control of all of this. Amen. Um, you know, and it's, and it's not actually up to me to save the world or make the complete correct decision in every sense. Yep. Um, I, you know, and I also find it, I don't know, amusing or ironic that this pandemic is attacking a lot of the things that Americans or the world thought we were really good at. You know, we <laughs> thought we were good at, <laughs> thought we were good at information and yeah. technology and economics. Wow. And you know, preserving Sports. endless youth and yeah, sports March and madness. fighting disease, you know, and yeah. and women outside the home and and you know, breaking Ooh. up families and stuff like that. And all of a sudden, turns out we're not so great at any of that kind wow. of stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. But Salt Lake <laughs> Barbecue still open. They're good at barbecue. Then, <laughs> Salt Lake Barbecue and the taco stand are still open, so we're good. <laughs> God bless Texas. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> so, what, re- um, re- related to this, I, I mean, just um, I want to think again along these lines. One of the things I've, I've been wondering about, though, is so it, it seems like 
you're go, we're going off of these models, these these you know, and, and they're statistical models. And as as everybody knows, these models are only good as the numbers that go into them. And sure. people are making educated guesses, and and I trust that people are generally, really, like honestly, trying to do their best. Um, Absolutely. Ne- nevertheless, um, you know, there's also a, a point at which, because we're Christians. When we don't, there's there's a sense in which I think there's a a spirit of unbelief that permeates our culture that says basically you have to make a guess, and even if your numbers aren't very good, better safe than sorry, which is actually an attempt at playing God, at being God, sure. and preventing or trying to prevent all this evil. Whereas there's a Christian sense that says absolutely we should protect life, we should do everything we can to, to defend life, and so forth. Um, but there's also uh, a certain kind of due process necessary. If you don't have the facts, if you mm. don't have the yeah. data, then sometimes God requires his people to wait and see. And sometimes that wait and see maybe even will result in some deaths that you might have said, oh, man, if we had known that, we would have acted differently. But it's not in that sense, though, it, that's in the providence of God. And I don't and I don't mean to say we just, you know, hands up and, you know, no, don't do anything to worry about this. No, not at all. I think there's all kinds of good precautions people can take. But I'm I'm worried, though, that you have this sort of a, a spirit of unbelief that's actually that's that's driving a lot of this um, that says we have to shut down everything now because of what it might be which is not really trusting God because God hasn't actually given us the information yet that we can act on in a responsible way. Does that question make sense? Yeah, I, I think so. So a, a couple of thoughts in response. One, I think we do have a good amount of evidence. I realize it's not perfect, but you know, it's also an overwhelming amount. There, there is so much quantity at, at some level, that that does indeed, in the world of statistics, count for a, a degree of, of quality as well. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to give us some, you know, we, we think we are making decisions based off of some valid numbers. Part of the challenge is that the, the, the effects that we're seeing today in the world and in the disease curve and all the rest of that kind of stuff are the result of what was happening two weeks ago. So I, I think the decisions need to be made in short steps. You know, let's let's do this for the next two or three weeks. Let's mm-hmm. see how things are looking. Let's do this for the next two or three weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, I, obviously, as a physician, I'm a little bit more focused on the oath that I took to protect life. Right. Um, which which pushes me a little bit more towards yes, let's let's do what we can to, to preserve life. And then it's up to the mayors and the county judges and stuff like that to make decisions in terms of how far we're going on the economic side of things. Right. So, for um, for example, um, like the Imperial College study is one of these you know big ones that everybody's appealing mm-hmm. to. Um, mm-hmm. Initially projecting two point two up to two point two million deaths in, in the United States, downgraded to maybe one million, and then maybe even less than that, two hundred thousand, and, and sort sort of like. Um, you know, somewhere between there, which seems like this massive divergence. And then you had even sort of a little bit of a flip uh, um, with uh, Dr. Burks, um, uh, the advisor to Trump, um, earlier this week, pointing out, she thought, flaws in the model, saying if you follow this model, there ought to have been 400,000 deaths in Italy by now, mm-hmm. but there haven't been. Right. And then, you know, then just a day or two ago, apparently kind of reversing course and, you know, showing the graph, the curve on the screen and saying we have to follow the Imperial College model, um, you know, we might have 200,000 deaths in the United States. That just seems like not good data. 
so there, I mean, again, the data is not perfect quality. We really wish that it was. Um, but I think there's a balance between saying we're not going to do anything because we don't want to play God versus we're sure. going to do everything because we want to play God. Absolutely. You know, at, at some point, Absolutely. you know, not, not taking matters into your own hand when there's an obvious course of action, it, you know, you can make the argument either way um, on that. I, the numbers, yes, the numbers change. Um, part of that is because, again, those unknown factors that we're unable to completely control for. Right. Um, part of it, you know, so certainly here in the Texas area, we are seeing a tremendous benefit from the social distancing and staying at home um, that we've been asking for. Uh, we also don't know how much impact, you know, sunlight or temperatures or humidity or any of that kind of stuff has on, on this. Right. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, we're, we're dealing with imperfect numbers and the correct answer today may change and we're dealing, you know, we have a different answer in a week. Yeah, my it's, question. It's, it's, part, it's part of the frustration of dealing with yeah. statistics yeah. and oh, healthcare sure. and, yeah. and, you know, a, a, a world population. Yeah, no, I hear you. So, so Dr. Abraham, the other thing I keep thinking about is yeah. if we, we, we're quarantining everybody off right now to try and slow it, but ultimately when everybody comes back together, aren't we still going to have the same problem? No. So for a couple of different reasons. Um, one is that there, there is a degree of herd immunity. Okay. Um, that, that's going to uh, protect the general population. Um, two, there will be less of the virus floating around because part of what we're attempting to do is mostly get rid of the virus at this point. Um, and then three, there's a lot of um, folks will have built up some, some more antibodies to this, um, okay. whether because they got you know mild disease or were exposed to somebody um uh, kind of thing. There's there's a little bit of, of antigen drift is the technical term for it. You know where a population starts to develop immunity to, to something like that. That's like you and me, Gabe. We're, we were exposed to chocolate <laughs> knox. Right. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm. We're pretty sure knox had the virus uh, back in Georgia. Or, when we were or I had his cousin. One of the two. <laughs> yeah, had, it was. It was. So, so the, I got a, I got a question here okay. about um, kind of a little more one more push on the data collection process. Um, are hospitals uh-huh. when when there's a crisis like this? And FEMA's involved, and the federal government is involved. Pumping and, out trillions national, of dollars. Yeah, pumping out trillions of dollars, and National Vital Statistics is throwing out ways of collecting the data. Um, are hospitals uh, incentivized monetarily to mark down COVID death, even if you know they had a heart attack or something like that? Is there is there a monetary no. incentivizing of this? No. Well, good. Now I can ask my um, question. Yeah. <laughs> not even through like Medicare, Medicaid, any of that stuff. No, because ultimately, I mean, we supposedly still get paid for patient care and equipment use and all the rest of that kind of stuff, regardless of what caused it. The payment may come from different, depending on what exactly it is. But Honestly, the way money works in a disaster like this is everybody continues to pay for stuff as normal and keep track of the receipts and hope that they get reimbursed for everything afterwards. Mm. Um, so there, there's really not a whole lot of monetary incentive to mark something one way versus another. Um, Dr. Abraham, when we talked about hydroxychloroquine earlier, you started beatboxing. Yeah. And um, I <laughs> <laughs> I, it just made me wonder as you watch the news and see other things that are happening in the media, being a doctor, what are other things that you see that make you be box? <laughs> so, so first of all, I, I've been a little too busy creating the news to actually watch a lot of the oh, news. Well, good. Um, <laughs> and I've had to stay off of social media a good bit just because I just can't even with some of the ideas that are out there right now. Yeah, um, she just can't even. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know what? I guess one of the things that, that takes me off a little bit is is folks who really have no understanding of medicine or statistics trying to you know interpret. Well, clearly this is all because you know we decided to plant daffodils this year instead of tulips or something like that. Yeah. Um. You know, like let let's give a little bit of credence to to the scientists who you know make mistakes also, but not you know. Not intentionally trying to screw things up. Um, I, I think the medication thing um, has been a little bit frustrating, especially knowing that there are patients who truly need those, those medications that can't get them right now. Okay. Um, I think people, you know, we see it a lot here in Texas and America in general, their general attitude towards social distancing where they're almost intentionally exposing themselves to as many people as possible. Yeah. Um, for example, we just we just had some patients, or, uh, well, some patients now, um, a whole group of students, uh, college students, who decided to ignore the warnings and go to Mexico for spring break. And surprise, surprise, they all have coronavirus, or almost all of them have coronavirus now, uh-huh. and have possibly spread it to a lot of different people. I, I guess it comes down to love your neighbor. Um, and I, I think... One of the one of the discouraging things about watching America's response to this is there has certainly been a lot of ways to love your neighbor, but there's also been a lot of people who are very focused on themselves and just how this affects them without actually looking for ways to love your neighbor. Here's another question just on Love Your Neighbor. Um, one of the things that has really concerned me as a pastor has been this um, a spree of government orders, edicts. Um, closing churches down and, um, mm-hmm. and set, you know, with the exception of Texas and Florida now and, <laughs> and Florida and now. Florida and, and actually surprised somewhat surprisingly Michigan, yeah. which is a Demo- uh, democratic, um, governor. They got Jesus in Michigan. Well, they, yes, they oh, got Dutch. Yeah. I, I thought they had Islam in Michigan, oh. <laughs> but they, um, the governor of Michigan actually initially shut them down. And then a Christian, um, I think he's the speaker of the house of Michigan, appealed to the governor and said, please um, recognize that there's a separation here of powers. Well, praise the Lord. And uh, they got a little bit of Texas up there in Michigan. Um, and so she reversed course and actually publicly said, you know, on second guess, I'm giving you a strong recommendation, but I'm recognizing that that's not my jurisdiction. And she did that in Michigan. Way to go. So there's, with, the, with the, a few exceptions, like Texas, Florida, and Michigan that are sure. saying, you know, we give recommendations, um, please use careful hygiene and so forth, but we're not actually considering churches non-essential services. Yeah. Um, sure. what's, what's your take on that? I mean, again, you're not facing it necessarily directly there in Texas. And again, Hear me out. I'm in big. I'm a big fan of love your neighbor. If you're sick, stay home. Um, you know, six feet, eight feet. I don't care. Wash your hands. I like fifteen uh, personally. Fifteen feet. I don't care. Um, you know, face mask. Wash your hands. Get a filtering. I mean, drink take, some whiskey. Take all kinds of precautions. <laughs> I, I'm. I'm not saying let's have a mosh pit. You know, we don't even do that kind of thing at church, anyways. But you know, I'm not. I'm not. I'm in favor right. of that kind of thing at all. Take precautions. But don't you think, as a Christian? That um, that the, the the ability for God's people to gather together and worship God while taking precautions is actually one of the things that we need right now in this moment. So do you have an extra hour to discuss the separation of church and state? <laughs> hey. Wait. <laughs> You're talking to the right people. <laughs> So, so here's where the discussion gets gets especially challenging, especially for someone like me who is a Christian physician in the thick of all of this. Right. Um, I I think that it 
at some point, scripture is full of a lot of guidance in terms of, you know, honor the king, obey your rulers, follow, follow the laws, you know, as, as much as possible. Um, churches, just because it's a place that we're worshiping God, I, I don't think that you can also say they're immune from spreading disease. And of course not. the fact sure. of the matter remains, large, large gatherings of people, no matter how careful they are, is, is the biggest way that this pandemic is spreading. And unfortunately, the greatest spreaders of the disease are people who are asymptomatic. Um, so, so that's where it's been especially challenging to say, well, yeah, obviously, if you're sick, stay home. But it's not the sick people who are spreading the disease. It's the, it's the people who don't have any symptoms yet that are spreading the disease. Right. Yeah, but I not- think that if the, well, so I think that if the government were specifically targeting churches and saying, we're letting all these other places stay open, but churches are not allowed to stay open, it would be one thing. The but, fact of the matter is that churches, churches and abortion clinics have both been asked to close. And the but, government, at least here in Texas, is enforcing the abortion clinic. But Amazon is not. But, but Amazon's not closed. Uh, that's because nobody actually works at Amazon. It's all robots. Yeah, that's, not that's, not that's not true. That's not true. No, Doc, I'm, you, I'm about to question everything you just said up until this point after that answer. I, that's the thing, though, is that, I mean, essential businesses. I mean, there are My grocery store is not Long closed. list. I mean, I, we My go, gas station we, we, we got a grocery store, and man, there's, there's women's fellowship groups breaking out in our grocery store. Let's <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, be honest. But, golf course here isn't closed. Yeah. I mean, and, and even, even, yeah. even other things like law enforcement. I mean, I've seen reports that there are law enforcement starting to come down with Corona. But they ain't closing. But they ain't closing because they're an essential right. well, service. Well, I, I think law enforcement is a fairly essential service. So, I mean, here's, here's where I'm fortunate for many reasons to live in Texas because I appreciate the response that our governor has taken on this one, which is to say specifically, um, churches, it's up to you guys. Please, you know, enforce social distancing. And, um, you know, be, be as responsible and cautious as you possibly can because yeah. the fact of the matter is there's a lot of churches where the disease is spreading also. And we have yeah. multiple cases of that in, sure. in Europe and everywhere else. Yep. Um, so, yes, I, I think Texas got it right on this one. Um, and, uh, you, you hear know, that, Gabe? Was, you hear that, Gabe? Yeah. Are you celebrating? I mean, I knew that. <laughs> you know, also, too, I think, I think I, I'm tending to start to put pastors, especially because of their duties, in a different category as far as essentials, because they are the ones who are going to the sick and the shut-in. They're the ones who's taking care of the elder in a lot of ways. They're the ones who are uh, managing the, the, the poor among us. And so I want to think of pastors in a different category and, and the necessity of pastors because of that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think it's it's forced churches to be a little bit more creative. I, I, I miss church just as much as everybody else, I, I, especially in a time like this. <laughs> Do you really, God? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> no, Knox is just being yes. mean now. <laughs> just because I live in Texas now. Come on. Uh. Um, so so it's, I think pastors and the church can still do a lot of the things apart from gathering for communion, unfortunately, but there is still plenty of opportunity. And, you know, I have loved seeing how my church here has jumped in and started, you know, delivering food to folks who are stuck at home. They have adopted my EMS agency and, you know, are praying for them and looking for ways to help them and serve them in a way that probably wouldn't have happened otherwise. Sure. Yeah. Um, And, and this is again, kind of, you know, on, on the theme of don't waste your pandemic, right. this is forcing or, or giving an excellent opportunity for churches 
to suddenly really jump into their community even more than they have before and, you know, look for ways to serve and be Christ's hands and feet to a, a community, a, a world that would not previously have known anything about it. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Hey, Dr. Abraham, I appreciate having you on the show. We've enjoyed this. Would you come on another time maybe and, and talk more about this as the data rolls out and things change if we ever go back to life as normal? I think we will go back to life as normal, and yes, I'd be happy to continue the conversation. I, I, my only request is that she also stay up all night before the next interview. <laughs> that, that, that'd be great. Yeah, I want the same Dr. Abraham we had this time. <laughs> Dr. Abraham, thank you so much. If you're single, get married. If you're married, have kids. And if you have kids, go baptize them. Until later this week, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go fight, laugh, and feast. This is cross politics. <laughs> I was going to make a joke against Dr. Abraham. I, I took it back. I took it back. I took it back. Oh, I, I left it alone. Because you know she was going to come yeah, back. Yeah, she was going to come back. I'm going to go in the show. It would be a whole right. fight. We'd be on another hour and a half. Yeah.